Well, good morning, church. It's been good to worship the Lord with you this morning, and uh, I am excited about um, what God has done among us with um, uh, clearly calling Chris Treadway to, to be our non-interim uh, worship, worship minister. Um, th- I want to thank you. I want to thank you for, uh, as a church, for, for your uh, replies to the polling. We had 167 individuals respond, which is very good. Um, the way we do it at Rocky is you've got to be a member, uh, which means um, uh, this is for folks who generally are adults. Um, some youth have been through the membership course and in their own stead are, are members. Um, but you've got to be a member in order to be able to um, respond to the polling. And um, again, o- overwhelmingly, uh, in fact, uh, I'll just share with you the results here, and you'll see that actually it was 100% um, were yeses. Um, now, we have, we have three different kinds of yeses, um, and we have a no. Uh, a D is a no. A D means I've prayed about this, and I don't think this is the direction we should go. A is I've prayed about this, and... and and I believe this is what the Lord wants us to do. B is, I've prayed about it, and I, I, don't, I'm, I don't have clarity, um, meaning some people take that as maybe I haven't heard directly from God on it, um, but I'm, I'm happy to go with the direction that God is leading the body and leadership. And then C is, is the same thing, but it's I haven't prayed about it, okay? And again, I know we have some folks who are very um, conscientious, and so unless they've, you know, fasted and prayed, they're, they're not going to mark they're not going to say I've prayed about it. So we, we had 146 A's, 15 B's, 6 C's, and 0 D's. So again, we thank God. This is it's pretty kind of unprecedented for when it comes to a minister position to have no D's, um, at least during my time here at Rocky. Um, so um, anyway, we, we thank the Lord for speaking through you um, and... and um, uh, Chris and, and Michelle, we're so thankful for you guys. And at the end of our service, we will be uh, praying for Chris and ordaining, which is simply a uh, old English word that means appoint. Um, uh, Chris is our non-interim worship minister. And if you're just with us, Chris has been doing this for like four years. I don't anticipate massive changes. Um, he will have a little more time, which will be great to focus on this, but, but uh, he is just pour his heart and soul, and, and it's been such a joy to, to, uh, to, to, to worship under Chris's leadership, and we continue to look forward to that, um, God willing. Well, as we look at this text, um, I, I want you to stop and think for a moment about the fastest that you have ever gone straight up, literally. I, I don't think we have anybody in the room, I could be wrong, has anybody here ever traveled in a rocket? Probably not. Um, maybe in the future, if SpaceX's uh, uh, business model works out, we'll have more people. Um, maybe in 50 years, who have maybe in 50 years, a few of you will have raised your hands. But um, thus far, a, not a whole lot of human beings have been up in a rocket ship. Okay, but maybe you've been in an airplane and you had the afterburners going and you, you went straight up. That's pretty fast. Okay, um, uh, I, I think uh, I've never done that. Um, uh, I did get a chance when I was a kid to go barnstorming once in an old Sopwith camel, uh, and we did fly straight up and straight down and that kind of stuff. 
Um, but the, the, the time that, the, the, the memory I have of shooting straight up the fastest, I think would be in Dubai, going up an elevator. Uh, some of you know that the, the Burj Dubai has, you know, it's the tallest building in the world. Um, they've got a pretty quick elevator. However, the elevator that I rode up in didn't have any glass to see out. Um, but the, 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 there was a building before the Burj was built, and I forget the name of that building, but it used to be Dubai's tallest building, and it was one of the top 15 or so buildings in the world in terms of height. And it had a glass elevator, and it, the, the building was all, the front of it was all glass, so you could see out, okay? And this was one fast elevator. I don't know if it was like, I don't know, best. 40 miles an hour or something? I don't know. It was fast. And you felt like you were just tearing through the air. And, you know, you get up above the skyline, and then there's the water out there, the ocean. And you're just, you left your heart, your, your stomach down there, right? And, and, I mean, I just don't ever remember feeling like I was shooting up so fast. Well, imagine one day, uh, if Christ doesn't come back before, and I hope he does, Imagine one day if they built a building, let's say five to ten times as high as the Burj Khalifa. Uh, engineers in the room, you can start doing the math. The Burj Khalifa is about half a mile high. All right. Uh, imagine a building that was, let's say, five to seven miles high, and they built a rocket-fast elevator. What, what would happen, do you think, as the human body ascended that quickly? Uh, bad news, right? You know, you, you might walk in the lobby at sea level in Dubai and end up up there about as high as Everest. Uh, altitude sickness we're talking about, right? There's a danger in traveling high too quick. And we see here in our text what, what Pastor Joshua read to us. Jo- jo- Joseph had a, just a rocket ship promotion from the dungeon to being viceroy over Egypt. And, and here's, here's the danger of that. That's altitude sickness, we'll call it. We'll get to, to that in a minute. But let's consider Joseph's promotion. That's our first point this morning um, as, we, as we look at verse 37 through 45. And the, the first thing that we need to acknowledge here that's really something is Pharaoh's acknowledgement of God. Bear in mind, Pharaoh's a pagan, uh, uh, not only a a king, but an emperor who views himself as being divine, and his people see him as a god. And it, it would be an understatement to say that he was impressed with Joseph's ability to interpret his dream, and with Joseph's recommendation on what to do with this knowledge from God, but the result is still amazing to us, and that is that, that Pharaoh believed in Joseph's God. Now, I don't know if that meant that he went all in and, and, and forsook the, the gods of Egypt. I, I doubt that, okay? But Pharaoh believed in Joseph's God. And so look, look again at verse 37 through 39. We read that this proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? What perception Pharaoh has here. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, and and, and get how he prefaces this, since God has shown you all this, 
there is none so discerning and wise as you are. So this, this is significant. Pharaoh really does give credit, or we could even say glory, to God here. Okay? So what I would say to you with this is don't underestimate the power of one faithful life that points or witnesses of Christ. Right? You may think, what kind of difference can I really make at work? Uh, everybody knows I'm a believer, so I'm just going to you know, really keep it on the down low. Never underestimate the power of a faithful witness. Paul wrote to the Romans in the beginning of his epistle, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, Romans 1.16, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So it's not us, it's not, what, it's not our strength, but there is power in wit- the witness, in, in the truth. When we point to the true God, uh, specifically for Christians, as we, as we use scripture, there is, there is power in that. There's power in a life of integrity that points with how we live as well as what we speak to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I think there's also something for us to note here, and that is, that is there's a warning for us as Christians. And that is this. We, we've, 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 we have been saturated. We've heard much about the gospel, right? I mean, you hear it week after week. And so I see a warning against unbelief, right? Unbelief of the heart. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 20, we read that, that he began to denounce the cities where many of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. He said, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. So there's a warning here. There's a warning here. Here you had Pharaoh who had probably never before in his entire life heard of Yahweh God. And he sees evidence uh, through Joseph's interpretation. Now, now maybe he could have been skeptical and he could have not believed Joseph. But he, be- he believed with very, much less revelation than we have. So let's take that as a warning against unbelief. Uh, don't let the saturation of, of truth lead you to take it for granted, right? Which is really a form of, of unbelief when you consider the, the truths and the promises of the gospel. Now let's consider Pharaoh's incredibly speedy delegation of power and responsibility to Joseph here. Uh, that, we, that we see in verse 40 through 45. And now maybe, maybe you're in leadership and maybe you like to delegate. Um, I delegate sometimes. I, I actually do it like he did it, but not as drastically. Uh, meaning someone may come up and say, I've got an idea. Hey, let's try this. And I might respond by saying, that's great. Why don't you do it? Right, elders? And, and you know, that's not designed to keep people from bringing good ideas, but it is designed uh, for for. Uh, trying to empower people, but it also maybe helps folks not sit back and, and just want to throw ideas out and not want to implement, right? Sometimes it's easier to just, you know, uh, shoot from the hip, but have no intention of actually doing it. Well, so delegation's a good thing, but, but here Pharaoh does something that's just unprecedented as far as I, I can imagine. 
Um, can you imagine just taking a guy out of a dungeon, listening to him for a couple minutes, and then appointing him viceroy of the empire on the spot? That's, I'm, I, I can't think, maybe you can think of a story in history where you've seen uh, a greater um, uh, uh, change or, or a bigger uh, empowerment or, or uh, a trusting of, of power. I, but I, I can't think of anything greater than this. Kent Hughes calls it the, the pit, from the pit to the pinnacle. He writes, the morning had begun in the pit as an imprisoned slave, and, and now he was second only to, to Pharaoh. So Pharaoh says in verse 40, you shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And this signet ring represents power, right? This was the actual seal of Pharaoh for, for sending out mandates. Put a little wax on it, and, and Joseph had power. And then we read that he, he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck, and he made him ride in his second chariot. So this is prestige. This is the, the, the projection of power here. Think, think in terms of like the presidential limo here with a, with a secret service detail, okay? And, and, and note here, Joseph's reluctance here. It, it, it says that he, they made him ride in the second chariot. So you almost get this, period, this, this picture here in between the, the lines a little bit that, that Joseph's kind of like, you know, say what? <laughs> and, and, you know, it wasn't like he was like, you know, hot dog jumping right in. It says they, he, he made him, Pharaoh made him ride around in this, in this chariot. And they called out before him, bow the knee. So we have power and we have prestige and now we have, we have honor. Some might call it worship, but, but honor. So now Joseph is being paraded around with people bowing before him. And then we read, thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh and without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So you have massive authority. And, and, and Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath Paneah. By the way, great job, Dr. Joshua, in reading all that. I'm guessing you went through and practiced that a couple times. I thought about warning you, but I didn't, so well done. Uh, not easy? I mean, how many of you have heard of a kid named Zaphnath Paneah? But, but in Egypt, that's what Joseph was called. That became his name. We think of Joseph, but the people around him didn't think of Joseph. It, it, he, was, he, he became Zaphonoth Paneah. That was his new identity, his name. And he gave him in marriage Asenoth, the daughter of Potiphera, not Potiphar, but Potiphera, priest of On. So Asenoth was a high-class wife, all right? The, the city of On uh, is also known uh, by its Greek name, which was Heliopolis. It's about 10 miles northeast of Cairo, and it was the center of worship for the Egyptian sun god Ra. All right, so this is a powerful city. And, and so this was like, you know, her, her father basically ran the city. It was a temple, temple city. 
all right, devoted to worship of this pagan deity, this famous Egyptian deity. And the daughter of the guy who runs the city becomes Joseph's wife. So now he's a part of this super high-class, powerful family. And we read, so Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Well, now, think about movies. Uh, you've, you've watched uh, books you've read about the depiction of the life of Joseph. And this is where he's finally on top, right? The sine waves. I mean, he's, he's ridden several of these um, waves down to the, the billowy bottom. And, and now he's just rocketed to the top, right? Now everything works out for him, right? Hey, hey, we're cooking with peanut oil now, maybe he thought. We're not too shabby. My new clothes and my power, right? Riding around in my chariot, everybody bowing the knee. Well, as if you read my email this week, you already kind of know where I'm going with this, but we Americans, we love rags to riches stories. And I don't know if there's a more powerful one than this one. I mean, you think back to Joseph 13 years ago being dragged across the Sinai Peninsula behind a camel by these Midianite tradesmen, spice traders, after having his brothers beat him up and, and sell him into slavery, probably naked across the the, the, the desert, you know, his hands bound, being dragged, maybe walking when he can by this camel. And now 13 years later, here he is decked out in, in gold, a fine robe, riding around the, the land in Pharaoh's chariot in style and with power. So we love this stuff, right? So cue the music, fade the screen. There's Joseph riding off into the sunset, the end. That's how we think as Americans, right? Well, wrong. That the Hebrew reader would have immediately realized that it is not a good thing that Joseph married an Egyptian, much less a big shot pagan priest's daughter. Remember that the, the patriarchs were, were careful to find wives for their sons who were members of the covenant community, who, who, who respected and feared Yahweh. And remember Abraham, took a second wife, Hagar, and all the trouble that caused. We still face this when we look at the world. And Hagar was an Egyptian, right? So you have all these kind of breadcrumbs that, that for the Hebrew mind, they're like, hey, this is not good. Asenoth, my, my wife, by the way, had a, had a friend in college named Asenoth. Interesting. Um, I haven't met Asenoth before, but you know what the, her, mean, her name meant? She who belongs to the goddess Neet, another Egyptian uh, pagan deity. That's what Joseph's wife's name meant. And we see here that Pharaoh here gave Joseph an Egyptian name. Well, there, there's identity in names. Several times earlier in the book of Genesis, we see um, people having encounters with God where God renames them. And, and it signifies moving closer, like who they are in God's covenant. But here it would seem you, you kind of have the opposite, right? Pharaoh is, is, is thinking, we're going to make you, you, you know, this is rags of riches, and here you are, this kind of redneck, you know, Hebrew. And bear in mind that the, the Israelites weren't like a big group of people yet. They're just a little tribal group of nobody, shepherds, right, with their beards, and they didn't wash much. And, and, and so, so Pharaoh is saying to accompany this new person that I'm making you with your power, 
I'm going to give you a proper Egyptian name. You're going to become one of us. That's what's going on with this new name. The Hebrew reader would have realized that though he is on top, Joseph was not home. He is not in the land of promise. Egypt was not the promised land. In fact, it was the land of his affliction. And brothers and sisters, we need to remember that this world is not our home, right? No matter how good we may have it, this world is not our home. 1 John 2, 15 through 17 warns us, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away. It's, it's, it's not going to last. You know, I mentioned buildings before. Um, the Burj Khalifa, if you've ever been to Dubai, and probably several of you have, um, it is, it, it's an impressive building. Okay, there's a big mall called the Dubai Mall. And if you go out back, I mean, it's like the biggest mall in the world now, I think. Uh, if you go out back, there's like a, a man-made lake with an incredible fountain show right in front of the Burj, right? The same people who did the Bellagio fountain show went over there and built like three times as big, okay, in Dubai. And it's just called the Dubai Fountain. And it's, it's quite a show to watch, right? They have thousands of jets of water shooting in the air, all, all streamed to music right in front of the Burj. But it feels like worship, right, of Babel, of this big building. And I was just looking up online the specs. You know the engineers designed this building to only last for 100 years? I mean, in 100, that's it. This big, giant building in 100 years, I don't know what they're going to do with it. Uh, I mean, is it just they're going to demolish? I mean, that would be quite a demo project, right? Or does it all just fall down? But this world is not going to last Right? It is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, John tells us. We read in Hebrews, For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come, that is the celestial city. We read about these heroes of the faith who didn't get too caught up in the wealth and the power of mankind of their cultures but we read in verse 13 of Hebrews 11 these all died in faith not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth but as it is they desire a better country that is a heavenly one therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city you see there is spiritual danger at the top so maybe in your career and 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 i don't want to be misunderstood because i think we should do all with our best uh, to, to the glory of god right with our best effort and so i hope that you are finding advancement and success in your careers right so please don't misunderstand me here but maybe you are experiencing success in your career and if that's the case, I would tell you, watch out. That can be a dangerous place to be. You know, sometimes success is harder to deal with than failure. You see, the, 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 the weak 
and the, and, and, and the poor need the gospel, but so do the rich and the powerful. But it's harder to recognize that need often when you're sitting on top, when, when you achieve your goals. Kent Hughes writes, Joseph's soul was in greater peril than at any other time in his short life. It is one thing to remain believing in God-centered and faithful in the pit. It is quite another to be faithful at the pinnacle. There's only one way to look while in the pit, and that was up to God. On the other hand, the pinnacle of Egyptian life inclined the soul towards pride and independence. Jesus told his followers, truly, truly, I tell you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And I think you can look beyond just that word rich. You could probably substitute the word successful or powerful. He says, again, I tell you, it's easy for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You see, success can be dangerous. Sitting at the top of society can be dangerous. Kent, Kent Hughes notes, after having looked around, that he quote, I'm quoting him here, extended time at the top of society can work an incredible ugliness of soul. You got to maintain that power and position. What happens? Well, there's all kinds of dog-eat-dog stuff, right? And temptation towards that. At all costs, people with power have to hang on to their power. The truth is that the careful reader here, um, in, instead of celebrating Joseph's rise to the top, would probably discern that right now he's in, he's in the danger zone spiritually. He's in the danger zone spiritually with success tempting him to forget his God. We know that, that true happiness in life comes from knowing God. So it's not the money or the position or even just simply the, the success at, at what you've been working towards that's going to truly bring soul contentment and happiness. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. True happiness comes from really knowing him. The good news is that what we see following this in Joseph's example, uh, despite the, the danger zone that he was in, what we see in his example demonstrate that his big view of God helped him keep an appropriate view of self, even though he was now at the top. Vodi Bakum reminds us, he writes, God sent Joseph to Egypt not to become rich and powerful, but to preserve the promised seed and ensure the salvation of God's people, both in the short run, that would be Israel and Israel or Judah's um, salvation physically, and in the long run, and that would be all those who belong to the line of Judah. He writes, praise be to God. So how dare we turn this into a ditty about material wealth? We see here in the following verses that Joseph didn't use his position of power for self, but for service. And he immediately got to work. So let's look at our second point, and that is Joseph's productivity. First point was Joseph's promotion. Now we see how he got to work, Joseph's productivity. Look with me, if you will, at verse 46. By the way, I'm not sure who it is, but um, somebody has been putting water up here for me every week, and I really appreciate it. It's really sweet of you. 
Sometimes I actually do need it, so thank you. Verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured. I think it's good for us to remember that this task of Joseph's was not easy. Um, This seven-year mission that he was on to to, to store up uh, for the preservation of life. First of all, uh, as some of you know, it can be lonely at the top. And, and, and not only that, there's a lot of pressure. Uh, he had a lot of expectation on him. Pharaoh was counting on him to be the savior of the land. But you know what? There might have also been a little bit of resentment or maybe a lot of resentment. Can you imagine the, the members of the elite class and Pharaoh's court thinking, we're having to take directions from a Hebrew that you've promoted over us? Uh, I wonder, Denise and I were talking about this this week. She brought up, I wonder how Potiphar felt about all of this, right? I mean, he's a guy who threw Joseph in jail, and now his former servant is his master. Um, it's a good, good thing that, I mean, none of this is in this text, but Joseph was a man of character, man after God's heart. Uh, otherwise, he could have done a little bit of score setting, right? Potiphar, why don't you spend some time in the pit? See, see how you like it down there, you know, and take your wife with you. <laughs> this was not an easy job. Um, it might have been tough to get people to store up their grain, right? I mean, folks, this is, these are seven years of abundance. Folks are thinking, hey, hey, let the good times roll. What are you talking about, you dreamer? Telling us that we have to store up 20%. We're not talking about a tithe here. We're talking about twice a tithe. 20% for what? Right? You got you to strike while the iron's hot, man. It's time to build bigger houses. What do you mean we got to take our grain and store it up in all of these cities? So, so Joseph needed that signet ring and needed that power, but you can imagine the resentment he dealt with. And, and, and kids, I would just say, this isn't the main point of the text here, but uh, all of us, but kids, as you grow up, um, don't spend every dollar you make, all right? You, you, don't, you don't know when hard times may come. Um, it, it is good stewardship to save. Give to the Lord, tithe to the Lord first, but, but save. You know, in our American system, we do the opposite. We got credit cards that, that are willing to do all kinds of things to make you going to debt, right? And to do stuff with debt. Well, we, we see here that the way of wisdom is to save because you don't know how the, what's going to happen in the future. And of course, Joseph knew that bad times were coming. But the bottom line here is that instead of living it up, Joseph went about the work that God gave him. He understood his mission that ultimately that was a, it was a divine mission. It was a mission from God for salvation. And we see that he executed his mission faithfully. 
we see faithfulness here in his life. And brothers and sisters, don't underestimate faithfulness. Faithfulness at work, faithfulness in life to the vows that you have made, faithfulness to God, first and foremost, in your life. Joseph was faithful, and he also remembered the promise. And that is our third point this morning, the promise, Joseph's promise. And by that I mean the promise that Joseph remembered that God had given to his great-grandfather Abraham. So we see fidelity in Joseph's heart to that promise to Abraham of the land of promise. Well, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, I don't see that here in the text. What, what, What are you talking about here? Well, when we see these names that that Joseph gave to his children, Manasseh and Ephraim, these were Hebrew names. And that is, I think, monumental to understanding this text here. Despite his acclamation to Egyptian culture, and Joseph would have learned to read uh, hieroglyphics and write hieroglyphics and speak Egyptian. And as I've mentioned before, when his, when his brothers came to Egypt, they, they didn't see a Hebrew guy that they recognized. They saw an Egyptian shaved, dressed like an Egyptian, speaking Egyptian. Culturally, he looked like an Egyptian, married to an Egyptian. And yet in his heart, he had not given up on, he knew where he came from, but he had not given up on God's promise for the future of his people. See, Joseph was asserting his Hebrew origins. And actually, this is grace towards his children as well. Instead of just giving them Egyptian names, he was marking them as as people of Yahweh God's promise. And so notice how both of these names acknowledge God's providence in his life. Look at verse 50. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, bore them to him. And by the way, we don't know if she converted to a follower of Yahweh or not. We, we do know that in the first century AD, there was actually a, a play of, uh, believe it or not, 2,000-year-old play written about the life of Joseph in which uh, Asenath was a converted follower of Yahweh. Uh, but we don't know from the text whether that's true or not. But we know that Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget. Manasseh means he who causes to forget. But God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. Now, I don't believe this means that Joseph forgot about his father or even his brothers. We, we see that in the, in the text following that he indeed had not But he was choosing to forget the pain that came from his rejection and abuse and treachery at his brother's hands. Then we read, for the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now by now, Joseph would have recognized, likely, that he was never going home to the land of promise where he grew up. But we see at the end of his life, and we'll consider this later, that that is where he kept his heart aligned with God's promises instead of the situation that he found himself uh, surrounding him. He never fully got 
sucked into the trappings of that Egyptian power and wealth. And notice here that Joseph actually calls Egypt the land of my affliction. Pastor Vody Bauckham writes, the fact is, no matter how good things get in this world, it's all Egypt. There will never be enough gold chains, fine linen, praise, adoration, or anything else to satisfy the yearning that God has placed in us. Only his presence in the land of promise will satisfy his people. The story of Joseph reminds us to look forward to, quote, the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So brothers and sisters, don't fall for the lie that if you can attain a certain amount of wealth or a certain amount of power and success at work or the the perfect house, that you're going to find happiness. And that's where it's going to be. You know, even the rich who who have more than we can imagine live in a fallen world. They too experience pain. They they get cancer. They get COVID. They get, I mean, talk about having a hard time knowing who your true friends are, right? Whether people care about you for you or they they want the power that, that the pixie dust of power that kind of emanates from you by being close, or maybe they just want your money, or maybe they're gonna stab you in the back one day and try to take your power from you, right? They experience pain. And let's remember this. Um, you, you may say, well, look, I'm not rich and I'm never going to be rich, you know, with my, my, my career. Uh, well, you know what? Every one of us in this room, I would, I would presume, uh, have actually a higher standard of living than Pharaoh did. You might be like, well, are you kidding me? Thousands of servants, right? All the delicacies of the Nile. You know what? Uh, I've been to Egypt. It is one hot place. Pharaoh did not have air conditioning. All right? Uh, He didn't have modern medicine. Pharaoh didn't have transportation that we have. It's incredible the gifts that we have. Refrigeration. So we are all in this category in this category of, of being rich and comfortable. And the truth is that does not bring happiness. Christ does. So finally, let's let's consider here as we as we as we kind of land the plane, our last point, and that is Joseph's provision. His provision. Verse 53 through 57. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, as Joseph had said. Now you know that the, the Nile Delta rarely gets rain, okay? And yet it was the breadbasket of that part of the world. And the reason is the rains actually came far south in, 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 the, in the part of uh, the world that we might call southern Sudan. Okay, there were seasonal rains that would then flood the Nile every year. And the Egyptians had built uh, thousands of irrigation canals, right, to be able to water the land from these rains that, that happened hundreds, even thousands, several thousand miles south. All right, and, and that, would, that would provide the crops that fed them and, and, and it was a source of wealth for them because a lot of the world would come to them to, to, to buy grain. And so now, somehow, in God's providence, those rains stopped coming for, for seven years and, and famine was far worse than you or I can imagine. Famine meant massive death. Again, bear in mind, no refrigeration. There are several accounts uh, in the, in the, in the, the, rec- the records of, of, of Egyptian uh, archaeology of massive famines that did come, 
Not that this one was averted, but massive famines that came where people resorted to cannibalism in mass out of desperation. And so here we see God using Joseph's foresight, his management skills, and his leadership to save Egypt as well as the surrounding nations from this famine. There was famine, we read, in all the lands, but in the land of Egypt there was bread. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. I think it's important to note that without Joseph, first of all, there wouldn't have been the grain, right? The seven years of storing grain. But without Joseph, Egypt would have had very little interest, likely, in saving others outside its borders. And so what we see here is Joseph is a figure that points us to the real Savior. He he was a Savior figure that in the providence of God, we can backtrace this whole story, right? Uh, And look at God's providence, all the way back to the first dreams that Joseph had. And the jealousy of his brothers and all the horrible things, right? The betrayal, the imprisonment, uh, false accusations. All of that led to this point in history in which Joseph was there not only to save Egypt, but to save the seed, to, to save Abraham's descendants. And that would be his father, Jacob, Israel, and his son and brother, Joseph, Judah, from which the Messiah would come. But here they all came now to Joseph to receive food, to receive bread. And this reminds me of Jesus' promise to all who are hungry spiritually. He said in John 6, 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, but whoever believes in me shall never thirst. That's the good news of the gospel. The the food you have in your refrigerator, the money you have in your bank account, those are not going to save your soul. And yet Jesus offers true salvation, true spiritual food. He said, I am the bread of life. And that is good news. I, I hope this morning your trust is truly rooted in him. But he has commissioned us, his global church, to bring this bread of life to the world. And when I say the global church, we have a privilege in partaking of that, but it's not just an American thing. This commission belongs to all Christians from every people group. And often the the resources for the harvest are in the harvest. So when we pray for for other nations to come to Jesus, pray that that they would be great missionary nations. And those churches would, would send out great church planters. But we've sent out our fair share. And and, and so it's our job uh, to hold the ropes for them in in prayer, to be thinking about them and and writing them and and supporting them financially. And in in two weeks, we get a chance to to celebrate and and remember this with our missions conference. And I just want to encourage you to come, uh, not only Sunday morning, but come back at six Sunday night in just two weeks to our missions fair. And this is a chance for every life group 
to represent their sent ones well, that the missionary that they are assigned to. And so life groups, you've done an awesome job these last couple years. Um, take note, if you haven't already, I'm sure you have, but just in case you haven't yet made plans, you got two weeks to do a bang up job uh, representing your missionaries. So don't let them down, represent them well. But all of this that we see here is a divine setup for what comes next. And that is a continuation of the story of redemption, the preservation of God's chosen people. But also, we're going to see in the, in the weeks to come, restoration of Joseph's relationships with his brothers and even a reunion with his father. And what that tells us is that while God is orchestrating all kinds of awesome events in history, he's also interested in our relationships. I look forward to looking at that more closely with you in the coming weeks. Well, let's pray together and then uh, worship our, our Lord in song and then uh, commission our brother to keep, to keep leading us in, in that worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what we see you doing uh, through history, through this one life, uh, the life of, of Joseph. And though we know he's not perfect, only Christ is, we see so many ways in which his life points us to our Savior. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone in this room who has not truly um, uh, had, uh, known, truly on a spiritual level consumed the, the bread of life, I pray that today would be the day in which they come to know him in faith. Father, we are sinners, every one of us, in, in need of a great Savior, and you have given him to us. His name is Jesus. Help us to believe in him and to follow him with all of our hearts this week. And I pray in his name. Amen.